The New Testament reading comes from Revelation chapter 19, verses 4 through 11. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who is seated on the throne, saying, Amen. Hallelujah. And from the throne came a voice saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, and all who fear him, small and great. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the sound of many waters, and like the sound of mighty thunder peals, crying out, Hallelujah. For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. To her it has been granted to be clothed with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are true words of God. Then I fell down at his feet to worship him, but he said to me, You must not do that. I'm a fellow servant with you and your comrades who hold the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Then I saw heaven opened, and there was a white horse. Its rider is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Hear the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to John. When he had gone out, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man has been glorified, and God has been glorified in him. If God has been glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself, and will glorify him at once. Little children, I'm with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and as I said to the Jews, so now I say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. I give you a new commandment, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You should also love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Let's uh, pray together. Our Father in heaven, we ask that as we think on these words of Scripture, that you would help us to know uh, their meaning and how they apply to us and how we might be followers of Jesus and a community that follows Jesus, that inhabits and embodies these words. So lead us, we ask in Jesus' name. Uh, Amen. So a couple of weeks ago, I was with a group of pastors. I do this periodically. I meet with about eight other pastors, and we do things like we tell our stories to one another, and we hold each other accountable for different things. And so I'm with this group of about, I think there were seven of us this year. And uh, one of the things, we hadn't met in two years. And so we went around the room, and each person had, a, had their hour or hour and a half, however long it would take, to talk about their story, the events that had unfolded in the last two years of life since this group had met. And so we did that, and we get near the end of it, and one of the pastors says, okay, what I want us to do is a little bit different now. I want us to sort of sit in silence, and each of us will pray quietly inside of our own heads for, for what you heard. What did you connect with in that story? And we did that. And then we get to the end of the prayer, and it feels very encouraging. And then another pastor in the group said, okay, I want you to do something weird. But trust me, 
And we're all like, you know, do you trust people that say trust me? I mean, you know, what's going on? This is going to feel awkward. And, and so he said, what I want you to do is I want you to stand up behind this chair. It's an empty chair. And I want you to imagine that yourself two years ago is sitting in that chair. But you know what you know because you're you and you're two years older. What would you say to your younger self? What words would you say to yourself? You know what's about to transpire. You know what's going to happen in your life. What would be the words that you would offer to yourself? And particularly, what, how would you encourage yourself, right? And how would you encourage yourself? So we each awkwardly got up behind that doggone chair. I mean, it was just the weirdest moment. And you could tell we were all like, I don't know what I want to say. I don't know what I should say. But we each took a turn except for one guy who refused and said, I'm going to stay on the couch, but I will speak to my former self. But here's the thing that was so interesting and actually very um, just really encouraging about that moment is that uh, the words that were said, they, they were not a pep talk. You can imagine that you'd want to say, hey, you got this, buddy. You know, all kinds, this is going to happen, but you've got this. But instead, the, the sort of consistent message that was repeated just over and over again was, God is with you. You're going to come through life, and there are going to be some, you know, really great things, and there are going to be some really hard things, and there are going to be moments when it just feels really chaotic to you, and you're not going to know what to do, but God is with you. God is with you. You know, hindsight is really an interesting thing. We sort of jokingly say, right, it's 2020. In other words, we imagine that once we get through an event, once we get through some period of life, that we actually see the past a little more clearly. We certainly see things that we weren't looking at or perceptive of in the moment, right? That's how hindsight often works. Not all the time, but sometimes we see things a little more clearly with a different vantage point. And that was what was happening for us. Because in that little moment, each of us was having to think, not, not when I tell my story, what do I want to complain about? Or not when I tell my story, you know, what is my humble brag? Or not when I tell my, you know, just so on and so forth, all of the ways that we tell our stories. But rather, what, what words of encouragement would Tuck, who is now, you know, 57 years old, say to his 55-year-old self? What would I say to myself two years ago? So here we were saying these words. I share that because I think what we've seen week after week after week is that the book of Revelation functions a little bit like that. It's not our hindsight, right? Because we, of course, aren't living in the future, but God has left the church. Jesus has left the church this peeled back vision of the future and the present all sort of circling around itself so that in a sense, when we read through Revelation, it's as though we're behind, someone's behind the chair of our lives, of the church's life, and speaking words that are meant to empower and encourage and help us actually take different kinds of steps of faith in the middle of this life. That the things that we do, the, the things that we love, um, the things that we even believe 
become shaped by the reality of who God is, God with us. In the moment, think about it. So even just thinking about the week that you've just come through, right? Maybe it's just this last week or the last two weeks, right? We've come through a situation in life where some of us have felt despair or discouragement or frustration. Maybe you've had those moments that sort of punctuate those harder moments with a lot of joy and some laughter and some celebration, right? But we've come through the diversity of this past week, right? Where was God in that for you? What would it be like to sort of imagine your life with God behind the chair, sort of speaking these words of comfort that come out of the future? Sometimes in the moment we get stuck, right? Have you ever felt that stuckness where you sort of spiral around a space of despair? Or you spiral, right, around a space of cynicism even? Or maybe it's, it's a space of success, right? And so you're spiraling around personal sense of arrogance and accomplishment, right? You, it's all about you and you've just done it all, right? But we get stuck in these very broken ways of living out our humanity, of sharing our humanity with our neighbor even. And Revelation, in a sense, takes us behind the chair so that we hear words that strengthen and encourage and buoy us for life today and life tomorrow differently. So we walk by faith. We sort of hold on to the reality of who God is with us in the midst of life so that we live relationally differently with one another. You live in the space of your vocation a little bit differently because you're acknowledging that God is present to your life, not absent to your life. And so that's the point of reading a book like this so that you and I begin to live lives of faith that are characterized by tremendous courage on the one hand and tremendous humility on the other hand. God is with us, God is for us, God is caring for us, and God is moving history, all of it, toward the reality of his future that's coming in Jesus. So this morning, we're looking at chapter 19, or a part of chapter 19, and it's a last word that we've sort of articulated. This is, a, this is one of those last words about the nature and characteristic of salvation. What is it that God is doing? That if we can sort of hold on to and receive it, may actually lead us to become persons of courage and persons of humility that are deeply aware of God's presence in our lives. So it's a song, right? It's a poetic expression. You see that as we read through this, this piece of poetry, this song. It's an alleluia song even, right? That's focused on the absolute greatness of God. The Lord God, the Almighty reigns. In a world in which we are consciously aware of the absence of God because those that reign very often aren't bringing a thriving economy or a thriving world of justice and peace and goodness and beauty. Here is this beautiful word that is just reminding the church, reminding the followers of Jesus, the Lord God the Almighty reigns. And the only right response to the reigning of the Lord God the Almighty is what? that we become worshipers, (laughs) that we become persons who align ourselves with the reality of who he is in his presence and in his future, that we rejoice and we exult in him. In other words, we turn and we align ourselves with God in his greatness now, not just later. That's the invitation of this song. So here's the question I have for myself and the question for you. 
Why align yourself with this God? Why do that? I mean, just because someone says he's great or he's going to have all power, almighty power, why align yourself with him? And there are two metaphors that John, I think, gives us that give us motivation for alignment with this God, and it's the metaphors of marriage and war. Now, that sounds weird, (laughs) unless you're married. They seem so contradictory, these words, these ideas, these metaphors, right? And in fact, Christians throughout the ages have taken these metaphors in different ways, and they've done weird things with them. And they've misapplied, especially the metaphor of war. We've thought that that means it's okay for the church to be a violent group. The marriage of the Lamb has arrived, John says. Let's take that one first. The marriage of the Lamb has arrived. It's wedding day. It's time. The bride is ready. The bride is clothed in fine linen, and which John describes as the righteous deeds of the saints, which, by the way, this is All Saints Day, or rather it's the day in which the church celebrates All Saints Day, which happened on November the 1st. But it's a day in which we remember and we gesture towards the fact that we, as followers of Jesus, exist in, this, in, a, in the midst of this great cloud of witnesses of the saints who have lived their lives doing just what this song calls them to do, to align with the greatness of this God. And so John, as he's imagining this moment, the bride is ready, all of the gathered saints, they're ready for this moment of absolute beautiful union with their Savior. This is the day. Their lives reflect his presence, not just in the things that have been said, but also in the things that have been done, Their love was like his love, revealing the reality of his loving presence to the world. Jesus became visible through the lives of the saints over and over and over again. And so here we are at the day when salvation is complete. It's full. And the metaphor that John chooses in this moment to describe that day is marriage. It's a wedding. And he says, happy are those who are invited to participate in this moment of union. So just think back for just a moment before we delve further into this metaphor of marriage. The last few weeks, we've been looking at chapters in Revelation that describe not beauty and glory, but catastrophe, right? They tell us, they take us into sort of this visceral experience of the evil that is in our world. That's not something that's hard for most of us to wrap our minds around these days. The news is filled with events that describe experiences in the world today and in our own country that can only be described in reference to a word like evil. It's a brokenness that's not just because we're finite or we're limited or we're just human and we can't sort of do enough or do it fully enough, but rather there seems to be some some malicious space inside of our world that is operative, and the last few chapters have talked about that. 
And one of the things that we know as you read through and you think about human history, whether it's reading stories about pipe bombs or mass shootings or anti-Semitism or genocide in one part of the world or another or the pre prevalence of ongoing chronic poverty, injustice and hunger, corruption of one sort or another or just ordinary human selfishness that occurs in the space of our everyday lives. We know that despite all of our advances, right, our intellectual accomplishments, our technological accomplishments, our scientific accomplishments, our artistic and our cultural accomplishments, all of these things are really beautiful and they're wonderful, but we know this, that they're not enough. That they've just not eradicated evil. Evil persists. Salvation is deliverance from evil. And what these chapters, these last chapters in particular of Revelation are going to take us into an awareness of is that God's intention is ultimately and fully to eradicate all evil. It is to cast it aside and away forever and ever. But salvation is also deliverance to something, towards something. And the metaphor that John gives us to think about that kind or that side of salvation is the metaphor of marriage. In other words, the way out of evil is found in vulnerable and intimate connection with God through the story of Jesus' life. And marriage is a favored metaphor that God uses throughout the Bible to talk about the way he chooses to relate to his people. In other words, he takes this very core experience of human relationship and he says, this is how I want you to think about what it means to be related to me. Now look, Marriage is a challenging metaphor for us to use because marriage is not perfect. None of us experience perfect marriages. And it can feel more like war sometimes than good and beautiful, intimate connection. But God takes on this metaphor to help us understand something about the intimacy and even the fraught quality of our life with him. There's something he wants us to think about with this metaphor. So think back to an earlier story of scripture at the very beginning, a remarkable poetic story of creation itself. A man and a woman, Adam and Eve, wake up to one another, right? And it's a first, right? here's the first man and the first woman in this poetic expression of their reality and their experience, their existence in the world. And however, right, you know, and by the way, this is poetry written in a patriarchal age, right? We need to acknowledge that as we think about the poetry of the Bible, or particularly these older texts of, of Scripture, but it's written right there in the midst of patriarchal society. But here's the most beautiful thing about that, is that the experience, there's an underlying mutuality that is experienced and expressed. You see, however men and women express their gender differences in that culture or in our own culture, there is this underlying sameness that that poem celebrates, that calls us to remember, that calls us to embrace, that calls us to celebrate that here is one like me, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. And so Adam speaks, the man speaks with absolute delight. It's a word that's given to Israel to help them to understand not only their relationship with one another in their marriages of that day, 
but that they might understand the kind of vulnerability and intimacy that God himself desires with his people Israel. You read through the Old Testament, and the metaphor just keeps getting used over and over again, and sometimes it's used quite negatively, uh, particularly in the prophets and by the prophets, and they tag it to sort of places where marriage goes wrong, right? Where marriage doesn't work, where it's hard and it falls apart. Situations of adultery sort of come to mind as God wants to think about how he thinks about his wife, right? How he wants to think about his spouse, how he wants to think about his own struggle with divorce. It's an interesting metaphor, but over and over, God uses it to help us to understand the kind of vulnerable connection that he desires with his people, with his family. You leap into the New Testament, and Ephesians 5 sort of is a place where the Apostle Paul begins to take the same metaphor and he uses it as a window, not just to think about what husbands and wives might do in that particular cultural moment of its expression, but rather that they might see that their life together as a couple speaks of the reality of Jesus's life with us. And that's where Paul sort of, sort of wanders off in a moment of doxological praise because here in this relationship, there is something that is being gestured towards that is not itself, it's beyond itself. It's the life of God with his people that is in view all of a sudden. This image in Revelation, as John presents it, he says it's the wedding time. It's the moment of celebration. It's this joyful moment when all that you've anticipated and all that you have hoped for in your life with God, this deliverance from evil into the fullness of new creation, it's now. It's going to happen. And he's reminding the church then and reminding us now that our destiny is deliverance from evil and it is deliverance unto the most intimate and vulnerable life with God himself because of the story of who Jesus is. It's a remarkable metaphor, and it's a broken metaphor as well. And you see that in the pages of Scripture, right? You just think right after the chapter in which marriage is introduced that then you have what? Man and woman retreating into the corners of the universe, hiding from one another and hiding from God. And God is the only one who is not hiding, but who continually seeks and what John in this particular moment of revelation is doing is he's reminding us that God's search for his people reaches its fullness in its completed moment. It's going to happen. Deliverance from evil, deliverance unto a life with God. God incarnate, born into our world as one of us, saying of humanity itself, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, I delight in you. When you think about God, when you think about the words that he speaks over your life, are they words of delight? Are they words of bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh? I delight in you, one like me. That's the picture that John is leaving the church with. So he says, happy, blessed is everyone that is invited into this marriage moment, this space of connection. 
Notice that uh, the imagined vision is such a great moment for John, right? I mean, you just, you just sort of put yourself in his shoes, and you're the one that's having this vision right here in this moment. John is so overwhelmed with the union that is being projected and talked about in this moment that he falls down and worships the messenger. He's so overtaken. And the messenger has to say, what? Stop. No, don't, because... I'm not any better than you. It's the story of Jesus that is in view. Celebrate him. What does it mean to be saved? This word of salvation. It means to be with God in the salvation that he is bringing. To be a person and community of persons that receive and accept the invitation to the wedding. It means to become someone that's aligning yourself, right? Just sort of aligning yourself, body and soul, mind, all together with this story of who Jesus is and what he's done. That story that you read in the gospel accounts, the story that we're called to hope in here. Um, It is vulnerable alignment with Jesus himself. Yeah, you know, I, I, we talk to one another and with friends outside of the church quite frequently, perhaps, about what does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus, right? And we so easily get hung up sometimes in the things that we're talking about, right? We, we feel on the one hand, let's, you know, maybe, you've, maybe people will say to you, well, I'm not, um, I, I can't figure out all the doctrinal beliefs that you guys believe, right? Have you ever, ever heard anybody sort of, sort of stuck in trying to understand what degree of certainty do I need to have in order to be a follower of Jesus? And we just get hung up in all these doctrinal beliefs that we think are attendant. What's interesting to me is that in the New Testament, I can't imagine that the New Testament individuals that are beginning to align themselves with Jesus are hung up in all of these kinds of doctrinal statements. They're rather confronted with Messiah, who is living and loving God and loving neighbor in such a way that leads to his death. And then resurrection And they're just simply having to respond to him relationally. Sometimes we get hung up in the church, especially about what it means to be a follower of Jesus around questions of moral mastery, right? You look at your life, you know, the church is an interesting place, I think, because we speak of grace and we talk about grace quite often. It's a center point of our conversation and our theology and all that we're saying, and yet we don't know how to live in that space of grace because we are afraid to let one another in on our stories. Because we're afraid that if you see, if we see each other as we are, as our stories unfold, that we'll reject one another. I'll be rejected if you knew the stories I have, right? That's how we feel. And so church can sometimes be this weird space of posturing, right? I I can let you in so far, but I can't let you all the way in because when you get in, grace won't be operative. Judgment condemnation, that's what will be operative. I've had a number of people tell me before that they wish the church were a little bit more like an AA meeting. That we could just with sort of integrity show up and talk about 
where we are in the journey with God, with Jesus, in our alignment with him. And maybe you had a really hard week. And when you're at that space of confessing your sin each week, you know in that silent moment when you're taking those words and you're thinking about how they fit into your life in this past week, that the story you would tell is just a really hard one. Grace. The church is a space that is coming into alignment with a Savior who dies for sinners. People that can be vulnerable before God about their real selves, not their imagined selves. Salvation is alignment with Jesus. It's letting Jesus' hard work of love change and shape your own hard work of love, your love for God, your love for your own self, the way you relate to your own story, and the way you relate to your neighbor's story. That's what salvation is. And so each week, and in just a few moments, we'll do it again. We'll gather to the Eucharistic meal, and it's a moment for us to remember what? That happy are those who are invited to the marriage feast. And you're invited to the marriage feast, into this space of vulnerable intimacy with God who knows you and sees you through and through, but because of the love of Jesus, embraces you and doesn't reject you. And so we rise from our seats and we come forward and we begin just once again, once again, to anchor our imagination and our practice in the reception of God and his hospitality for us, his love for us. So the question then would be, how does holding on to that metaphor of marriage help you in the coming week? The thunderous voice of heaven reminding you that happy are those that are invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb. Behind the story of your life, how will that change the way you go into this week, into your life circumstances as one who is so loved? Now quickly, this last metaphor of war. Oddly, we expect in this moment to see a wedding, right? And we've been to weddings, at least as they happen in our culture. I do, by the way, know a person or heard a story once of someone who decided that the groom should come down uh, toward the bride who was waiting. Okay, let's not go there. But here we are in this space, this imagined space of a wedding that is about to happen. But very oddly, what John takes us to is heaven opened And not the wedding that we expect, not the groom standing at the altar in his finery, a tuxedo or a suit or whatever they've chosen for their attire, but rather we're brought into a situation of a groom who is on a war horse and who is ready to make war, a spiritual war. John sees heavens open in a great white horse and the rider's name is Faithful and True who in righteousness judges and makes war. Now look, this is where the church has so often gotten hung up and so often missed the point, and we just replicate the Apostle Peter's problem in the Garden of Gethsemane when he reaches for his sword when the soldiers come to take Jesus and he hacks off the ear of a servant. 
And what does Jesus say? No. Stop. That is not the way of my kingdom. It's not the kind of warfare that's going on here. And we need to hold on to that. And so we need to pull back from all of the abuses of this metaphor and somehow embrace it because it seems necessary for us. Why? Because our lives unfold presently in the midst of this great spiritual battle. But it's God's battle against evil. And we need to grasp the reality of that. The kingdom of salvation, God's salvation that he's bringing is not a magical world. Yeah, I... I often wish it were a magical world. <laughs> you know, I want it to be like I'm going to the magic kingdom. And everything works except the lines are a little bit shorter, right? I mean, you know, I want this to be like Disney. I want it just to work out so beautifully, but so quickly. But the metaphor of war reminds us that our lives are unfolding in the midst of this cosmic battle, God's fight against evil his war against evil, but here's the beauty of it. The groom, Jesus, the lamb, has leveraged the entirety of his life and his being and his power to bring about an end to the war. It's interesting, if we kept reading in chapter 19, we'd arrive at a point where we're told that he's clothed in fine linen, but it's linen dipped, dipped in blood. But not the blood of his enemies, his own blood. See, the greatness of God Almighty who reigns forever and ever, who is not remote, but who is present to us in the midst of our struggle, in the midst of our real lives, of our battle, who is most intimate with us, is a greatness of God who reigns forever and ever, who has leveraged every bit of himself and his power for us and for our sakes, for our thriving and for our future life with him. That we might be a part of this new creation in which evil is forever eradicated, so that the story that we're living right this moment and this coming week would actually be reflective of the truthfulness of who Jesus is. His love, as we read about in the gospel reading this morning. So there you are in the chair of your life, right? Here we are, City Church, in the chairs. And the thunderous voices of heaven are behind us. What does God's word to you this morning say? How is he encouraging you for your life in this world? What's going to happen in your life this week? What are the things that are unfolding now? The places, the moments where you get absolutely stuck. And your go-to in those moments, it, maybe it's cynicism, maybe it's despair, maybe it's arrogance, maybe it's, it's just utter discouragement, but you get stuck. How does hearing his word of love in Jesus help you live life as one loved this week. The author of Hebrews reminds us that our life does unfold amidst this great cloud of witnesses. The author of Hebrews in chapter 12 is eager for us to know that our life is not just this particular moment, but it's in this larger story that God is telling that reaches back into the past and forward into the future. And he says, look, your life as a follower of Jesus, as a Christian, 
It's happening in the midst of this great cloud of witnesses. The saints who are seeking to align their lives with Jesus. Who, are, who, who love him and who have set their affections upon him. And then the author of Hebrews sort of pushes on the church of his day, right? Just urges them. And here's what he says. He says, so let us lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely to us. And let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us. Your race. Our race. Not someone else's race, but our race. And let us, in the midst of that, look to Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith who for the joy set before him endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. Jump forward into Revelation. Hallelujah for the Lord our God reigns. Blessed is everyone that is invited into this feast. You're invited his words over you are words of love and adoration and promise that he will finish that which he started. Let that shape the way we go into the world this week. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we ask that you would be with us as we reflect on these words and perhaps think more deeply about what they mean for where we are in this moment questions we have, the uncertainties, the fears, the discouragement, the joy, the laughter, the sorrow. Would you meet us, Father, Son, and Spirit, and would you lift us into this space where we hear your voice and we know your word over us is a word of love and a word of power that you will finish that which you've started. Be with us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.